Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives differently and explore topics relevant to all areas of their life. Hello, Life Reframers. I'm Sandy Reynolds, and I'm here with Joanne Gibson. Hello, Joanne. Hi, Sandy. Hi, listeners. Joanne, I'm really excited about our guest today. I'm going to just start right in and read her bio. We have Tracy Schmidt with us today, and Tracy is unstoppable, and not just because she was cameoed in the movie RoboCop, which I'm going to want to know a little bit more about. As a four-way amputee, Tracy has climbed mountains in Nepal, captain 110-foot-tall ships in the eastern Atlantic, and received a bronze medal as a Paralympian athlete in Alpine, that's downhill skiing, and that was just her first 20 years. Her latest adventure was as a quest for the gold athlete, where Tracy competed in World Cup regattas across North America and around the world, embarking on a Paralympic sailing campaign for the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio, Brazil. She was in able-bodied international World Cup regatta competitions. I'm saying that right? Tracy yeah. was the man is was a manager of planning and integration at the Pan Am and Para Pan Am Games in Toronto 2015. And as a dynamic individual, Tracy's other work experience includes teaching and the educational corporate sectors as a learning and development consultant. She earned her honors degree in recreational leisure studies. She has a bachelor of education with an integrated art specialty and her master's in business administration from the Rotman School of Business. Tracy and I worked together at Air Canada many years ago, and then we worked again years later at another organization. And so I just feel like I'm following her around. I'm really excited to have you here today. Welcome, Tracy. Well, thank you, Sandy. What an introduction. Someone's done their homework. Yeah, welcome, Tracy. It's really nice to have you with us today. I have the pleasure in uh, asking the first question, although it's not about RoboCop, but we're going to get to that throughout the, <laughs> throughout the session today, that's for sure. Tracy, you've done a lot in your life and a lot more than most people, and you've had to overcome some major physical challenges to do so. And I was watching one of your videos on your website and you mentioned that they call you Unstoppable Tracy. So I'm wondering when, if you can remember, when were you first named Unstoppable Tracy and give us the story around that. <laughs> it sort of followed me around all my life. It's funny, they teach us as entrepreneurs, your brand isn't what you make yourself. Your brand is what people say about you. And, you know, it, that word unstoppable, Tracy, has followed me forever. And I finally decided to just embrace it as part of my business. But it started right from kindergarten. You know, uh, I grew up on an interesting street. Everybody on our street were uh, low-income housing. And mm -hmm. everyone was from somewhere else, from another country. And we all put our names in a lottery for affordable housing in that we could purchase this home. And so the criteria was, you know, you had kids under six years old, at two, a minimum of two, and not from Canada necessarily. So no family and friends to support you to get launched. And we won. And so everybody on my street were in similar shoes. And everybody in on my street, all of our Christmases and our Easter's, everything 
was on this street. And so these were more than just neighbors. These were my family, my cousins, symbolically. And so when it was time to go to kindergarten, we all headed off to the local elementary school. And that first day of school, they said, Tracy can't come here. And my mom was sort of like, well, how come? And <laughs> I mean, you got a picture, like I am clearly an introverted shrinking violet, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, but my poor mom was not blessed because she is a total introvert. She's very much um, uh, not outgoing. And then she gets this child that says hello to everybody, whether she wants them to or not. And so I was really surprised to hear back on this story. But basically, uh, you know, introverted feelers are like mama bears with the people that they care about. And so completely loyal, obviously, to her baby girl. And they they said, well, you know, she's got to be able to tie her own shoelaces and get ready to be outside with everybody. And my mom was obviously saying, well, she can do that. And they're thinking that my mom is overestimating what I can do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. whatever it is mom's thinking, she says, well, how about you just were here today. Why don't you try Tracy for a week? And then if it doesn't work out, then we'll consider the quote unquote special school. So for whatever reason and the passion in the moment, they said, okay, one week. And so my mom turns to me and I remember her holding my shoulders and looking at me face to face. And she says, Tracy, she says at Reese's time, it's really important that everybody's included. She says, it's really important that everybody's outside together, including you with everyone. All right. And I said, Okay. <laughs> so come Reese's time, I tie my shoelace. And of course, my friend can't tie her shoelace. So I oh. tie her shoelace. <laughs> and then it turns out none of the kids can tie their shoelace. Oh. And I've got the fear in me of, i got to get everybody outside together. Nobody can be left behind. So then I try to tie everybody's shoelaces, right? To get us all outside for recess together so that nobody's left out because we all got to be together. And then... <laughs> Of course, the bell rings in the 15 minutes, and I haven't got everybody dressed and ready for recess. And so my mom picks me up after school, and she says, Tracy, did you get outside with everybody at recess? And I'm devastated. I'm like, no, Mom, I didn't get everybody outside for recess. (laughs) And so my mom goes to the teacher and says, you know, what happened? And the teacher says, well, Tracy was the only one who could tie her shoelace, and by the time she tied everybody's shoelace in the class, recess was over and so it was sort of right then and there that it was kind of coined by the principals and the teachers you know unstoppable Tracy is kind of where it started but you know what's really funny is when you think of this in today's business and today's day and age how come you know in kindergarten we ha- even now my niece and nephew kids can't tie their shoelaces in kindergarten mm. so why is it the kid without her hands is expected to be able to tie her shoelace and, and when I was in school, there weren't educational assistants at that time. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. It's not really relevant whether you can tie your shoelace. And so how often in business, especially even as women, are these crazy standard operating procedures or expectations or beliefs that something should be in place in order to be welcome or appropriately included, right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether it's disability or whether it's as a woman. 
uh, or whether it's because you're multitasking a thousand other things going on in your life, being a mom and trying to succeed and trying to climb the corporate ladder, whatever it is, you know, that we have this idea of what we can or can't do. Mm. I love that story. And I mean, reading and hearing from your bio, uh, bio um, you are a four-way amputee, so we want to hear more about that. But of course, when I when I hear your bio, of course you're unstoppable. I mean, you've climbed the pole, <laughs> captain tall ships. You've been an Olympian, um, so it it absolutely fits. But that's really nice to hear, kind of uh, where that name or where that kind of story started. So yeah, thanks for sharing. So just tell us a little bit more. You said you don't have hands share the picture for our listeners yeah yeah uh so i was born a four-way amputee which is kind of funny to hear the word amputee because you think of the word amputated and so i wasn't amputated it just my arms and legs didn't grow uh, fully and they don't know why it's just a fluke my mom is cheeky enough to say i'm a fluke in more ways than one (laughs) (laughs) and And so everybody, mom, dad, relatives, past relatives, future relatives, no one else uh, was born without, with missing limbs of any kind. It's just, it's genuinely, authentically a fluke. I'm too young for the uh, thalidomide drug. They just didn't grow. But you know, uh, that whole, you know, even that lesson at kindergarten of counteroffers. So, so no means no. And I fully respect that no means no, but Mm. I also know that, okay, so no under this circumstance means no, but there's always, you can counter offer. You can always come around in business or in life or in recreation uh, or whatever, or with your kids, getting them ready to get out to school that day <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or understanding a, a promotion at work. It doesn't mean no. It only means no in that moment under those circumstances and to counter offer. But because I was born with a disability, I am so lucky that I learned really early that you just you just work around it just because you don't know how or just because you're stopped once doesn't mean you have to stop trying right you just keep at it and so I'm yes I was born a four-way amputee whatever the literal meaning of the word uh, and it certainly gave me incredible opportunities I'm I'm the only one in my family with a with a bachelor of education never mind an MBA and only one in my family that skis and sails and climbs mountains and flies airplanes and scuba dives and kayaks. And so I'm, I'm all because I was born with a disability, right? Mm. With that drive and that opportunity of, I, I got to figure it out for a shoelace. So from then on in, it's just with me, right? It's always there. So it's, I'm very lucky to be born this way and I wouldn't have it any other way. Wow. Um, Known you for, I was thinking, probably 20 years, I imagine, was when we first started working together. And um, Yes, yes, child labor, right? I, yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I never knew your story. I, I do have, you know, I was thinking about when we worked together and we used to commute to Montreal all the time. We, we were, um, we did a lot of work in Montreal and uh, from Toronto, we would fly there and we'd spend like a week or two weeks there or whatever. And I remember one day um, we had to work on something, prepare something for a presentation the next day. And uh, I, I didn't really know you very well, but I, you know, you have this energy and this um, determination around and I, I don't even no, but I, I had asked you if you wanted to get together after dinner and work on the presentation. And you asked me just like so matter of factly. 
if I would mind coming to your room because you would have your legs off. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, like this, I like didn't even think of you as disabled. Like I, that's how like unstoppable you are. Like it was like, I just, I have that memory. And I was thinking, wow, like I just, you know, it was like, I totally forgot. And uh, anyway, it's just a little memory I have of you. I hope it's okay to share that. Oh, I love it. It's great. It's so funny because I just, I figure it's top of mind and everybody notices it and thinks about it. And then people like yourself say, I didn't even click until you said, it would be nice to have my legs off end of day. Can we come to my room? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, it's great. It's great. Um, that you have that ability to to make us forget because we're just focused on you as a person and we're not really mm. focused on you as anything but Tracy. So it's great. So you started sailing when you were 11 years old. So I'm curious about that. How did you get into sailing? Well, you know, I think, uh, again, I think it's like business. You got to just jump at those opportunities. And, and Sandy, your famous word is be open. And, and, <laughs> and so I was in the waiting room getting some new legs. And uh, there was a, a student, an 18-year-old student named Kathy Smart, who came in uh, to, with a college project for adaptive programming that she had. And she said, I'd really like to turn this into a reality. I'm a sailor. Can you give me the names of some people with disabilities that I could take sailing so that I could figure out some adaptive sailing? And uh, obviously, they because of privacy, they couldn't share that. But I was in the waiting room, and I'm like, I want to go, I want to go. And, <laughs> and so I was her only able-bodied participant at the time. And it's, you know, fast-track to falling out of the boat the first year to a gazillion years later when uh, my second job, there was Air Canada, and then another really big corporation I worked for was Shoppers Drug Mart. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of pharmaceutical reform, uh, we, you know, as a facilitator in my role, one of the pieces is sort of figuring out the organizational development changes as the pharmaceutical reform hits. And Shoppers Drug Mart has brilliantly outperformed the stock market forever and continued to even through pharmaceutical reform. And I basically facilitated myself out of a job uh, to focus on what you need to do. And so... Uh, I remember that happened at like lunchtime and I remember getting in my car and I remember uh, bawling my eyes out in the car. Oh my gosh, I've lost my job. And then I was also a really big believer and still am of what you focus on grows. Mm -hmm. So I did not want to focus on feeling that sad or that devastated. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, enough of this. 15 minutes was all I gave myself <laughs> and said, what would, what would help me? turn around and figure this out like what is what is it that no matter what however devastated I'm feeling would would pick me up and I'm like sailing so I remember oh. I got home and I looked for a sailing race a sailing opportunity and there was a regatta a sailing race in San Diego and by 5 30 that afternoon I was on a plane to San Diego to participate in a sailing regatta <laughs> and I remember it <laughs> and I was in this sailing regatta and I show up at the registration and I'm like, do you have a boat? And she's looking at me like I'm nuts. And she says, no, <laughs> it's today. Right. And the man behind me says, uh, oh, I'm here to say that my friend who chartered a boat, he's already paid 
uh, isn't able to come, but he wants me to donate it to another sailor that might be interested in participating in this regatta. And so if you want his boat, you can be in his boat. So I got this boat, but I'd never sailed that type of boat before. But I said, no problem, right? It's got a tiller. It's got a mainsail. It's got a jib sail. How hard can it be? So I jump in this boat and then, and I'm out there and I got a bullet, I, which means I got a gold. I got a first place in this boat that I'd never been in before. And this uh, U.S. Paralympic coach sees me and she, wow. she's like, holy cow, have you ever considered the Paralympics? And I, even though I had loved sailing all my life and I'm now in my thirties, uh, and I said, I didn't even know there was Paralympic sailing. Like it wasn't a possibility I'd ever considered. So I was all excited and motivated. And she hooked me up with this media interview and said, oh, Tracy, you just got a first place. How do you feel? And oh, it's amazing. And they said, so where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm Tracy from Toronto. And the U.S. Paralympic coach says, what? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know that I was a Canadian. So on the flight back from San Diego, it's when Hurricane Sandy, no offense to Sandy, <laughs> yeah. Hurricane Sandy hits, and uh, the flights are a little bit scary. But Sandy and I, we both know that flights are pretty safe, and, and it's we're more likely to be hit in the head with a coconut than have something go wrong with our flights in Toronto, hit in the head with a coconut. You know, right. there's just, it's so <laughs> rare. And then even then, there's like one in 35,000 chances that you're going to walk away with a scratch if it's a wonky landing. So it's so crazy rare. I wasn't afraid at all. But on the landing, we had a horrific process. And despite all the flying I'd done, I actually was petrified for my life. And so I'm thinking I'm horsing around playing hooky when I just lost my job. So I, I like, I'm like universe, I promise to stop horsing around. I promise to get looking for a job. And the plane went bazonkers, way worse than it was already scaring me. And so I said, forget that. If I'm going to die, I'm going to pursue my Paralympic dreams. <laughs> and so the plane went totally straight and we landed beautifully. And so it's like, okay, I got to do this. So then I land on the plane on Sunday afternoon, late, like 5.30, 6 o'clock. And so by 7.30, I'm on the phone trying to figure out who knows anything about Canadian Paralympic sailors. And I reach out to the Canadian Paralympians that I find and they say, Tracy, there's no way. They said, you just had a lucky draw. You had beginners luck in that race. And they said, you know, you'd have to train 10,000 hours and you'd have to train with an Olympian, never mind a Paralympian. You'd practically have to live in his back pocket. Uh, and I said, well, like who, like who, right? Like, and they said, there's just no way, Tracy. And I said, well, like who? And they said, well, there's a guy, <laughs> Magnet. He's a gold Olympian, able-bodied Olympian. In Miami, and he has a soft spot for, and he did some training for me as a Paralympian. And I said, oh, that's great. And they said, but there's no way Magnus is swamped. And I said, okay. So I hang up the phone, and I try to phone Magnus. And I try mm -hmm. to Twitter Magnus, and I try to Facebook Magnus, and I try to email at Magnus. And sure enough, he doesn't reply. So then I get on Kijiji, and I get rid of everything. My couch, my bed, anything that didn't fit in my car, I put on Kijiji. And, and, and I haven't reached Magnus. So for five days, I'm trying to reach Magnus and he's not replying to any method. And my family, instead of being really supportive, are angry. They're like, you just lost your job. What are you doing? I'm not helping you at all. I'm not lifting a single thing into your car. They're not <laughs> going to help me. And they're so angry and they're, they're really, really mad. 
and and but I just know that I got to do this. I like I it was so clear, right? The plane went flat. I had to go. And so <laughs> I get in the car, and anything that didn't sell, I did. Uh, I gave away. And and the last thing, my you know my my beloved, wonderful, incredible sister, who's amazingly supportive of me, says you know, and she thinks she's saying it because she's worried about me. But she thinks it's going to be the thing that keeps me behind. And she says, what, are you going to leave me high and dry with your, you know, your rent? You're going off with no income now. You just lost your job. What are you going to do? So I gave her, you know, my last 12000 for the next 12 months. And so I took off without really any money and without uh, any reach or word from Magnus and any idea where I'm going to live. But I and I reached out for five nights all the way south to Miami and every night in the hotel room with Wi-Fi, I would try him again. And he still didn't flip an answer at all. And so I finally got to Jacksonville, Florida, about five days. So 10 days after that crazy airplane landing, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm saying, I'm reaching out to him. I'm like, Magnus, I know I've reached out to you every single day, but I'm now in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm really coming. If you didn't believe I was coming, I'm really coming. And he replies, if you come, We've got boats. And that's oh. all he said. <laughs> so when I show up and he's not there in Miami the next day and I find somebody that knows him and he said, oh, Magnus is out of town. So he wasn't even there. And and uh, I don't even know exactly. And all the hotels I find are like 200 bucks. And I'm scared <laughs> to spend that kind of money because I, I know it's not going to last me very long. So I sleep in my car in the parking lot oh, at gosh. Teen Paradise, which is Magnus's club. And that's what I did for a little bit is, and I slept in that parking lot and I finally met Magnus and he was washing a boat. So I helped him wash the boat and then he was off to go get, pick up some sails. And I'm like, can I come along for the ride? And he's like, sure. And I hear him and he's talking invoices. So when we get back, I say, oh, you know, uh, can I do that invoice for you? Will it help at all while you're doing what you need to do? And he's like, sure. And then I remind him, you know, a week later, oh, you know, that invoice you wanted to follow up on. And he's like, oh, thanks. And I just keep washing boats and reminding him of administrative stuff and volunteering to do things that I hear he needs to do. And I was like three, four weeks before I ever got to sail with him and somebody hired him. And if you know Magnus, he could single-handedly manage any boat, any size, right? He does not need crew. He can do it all. <laughs> and and this guy thinks, you got to have crew, he says to Magnus. So he turns and I'm sitting there making an invoice for him and he says, she's my crew. And he said, she's your crew? And he says, yeah, she can sail. And so he turns to me and he says, you can sail, right? And I said, yep, too confidently to the guy who's hiring Magnus. So we both get in the boat and Magnus just knows that he can manage the boat with me or without me, right? So now mm -hmm. we're in the boat, but I actually can actually prove myself in the boat. Mm -hmm. And it's been four weeks and I haven't been at any coaching or sailing with Magnus. And, from, and I got to prove myself. And from that day on, I ended up living in his girlfriend's yoga studio and uh, and with him twenty four seven for for the next four years, and uh, and he's closer than a brother, and it, but and you know it's so we can all do it right. Like you just gotta just do it and you just <laughs> dig in. Wow. Deep. And if I wasn't sitting in that room waiting to get some prosthetic legs, who would have been able to take advantage of sailing, as you said, at eleven years old when I started. Wow, that's an amazing story. This is just going to be one podcast of amazing stories after amazing yeah. stories. <laughs> At any point, was that little voice in your head going, 
you can't do this. You should. I mean, besides the plane, I, I got the plane landing. You were trying to go. Okay, I've got to be. I've got to do. Uh, you know, the traditional thing. Go and get a job, and then that changed. But whilst you're driving down to Florida, or was there any point where you're like, okay, what the hell are you doing, Tracy? <laughs> You every single day, <laughs> like all the time I get, what the hell are you doing? Like, and so imagine after that, so now I'm driving to regattas and, and Magnus is done with regattas. He doesn't really want to boot it anywhere. So if I want to go to a regatta, I have to tow the boat myself. And often to afford to get to the regatta, I offer to tow somebody else. So I've let, you know, I've got my legs off. I got two boats hitched onto the back of my car. And I'm driving, and I like I pull up into a gas station, and I got to go through the truck driver entrance. And so, like, I'll jump out with my legs off, and like, sort of bum over to fill my gas tank. And I got two boats, big, you know, boats up behind my car, and like truck drivers and and camper trailers, and people are just like looking like at this two boat car pulling with legs <laughs> up, and I don't even know if I can reach it. But and sometimes oh. I can't, but I always. You know, you just, you just, and that happens, I, you know, even now when I need gas, I, there's no more full serve gas stations, right? Mm. So I got to pull up and I just got to do as best I can do. And eventually people see that you're doing your all. And then they jump in and say, you know, if I, if, if I make eye contact and they seem approachable, I say, Hey, can you give me a hand? Enlist the support that you need. And that's the same with my website. And that's the same with constant contact. And I've been listening to your podcast and that's the same with your podcast. You enlisted the support you needed and you had brutal, painful learning curves, but you get there and you learn it. Exactly. Yeah. And that is one of our, the things that we talk about with reframing your life is relationships. And, you know, we are, we do need to depend that interdependency on each other. Like we can't be a solo act in our lives. I mean, we take responsibility for our lives, but there it's okay to reach out for for help. Is that ever hard for you though, Tracy? Like, do you ever feel like you have to prove something or do you, are you, have you gotten comfortable with just asking for help when you need it? I, I, I am totally extremes on both ends. <laughs> <laughs> so I am like fiercely independent and I, and mm. I, and I had to be right. Like, uh, in order to be able to, to be able to participate in and to, inspire confidence in other people so you just you always got to believe you're capable and show you're capable and jump in and, and and not be dependent on people and so that's my strength but it's also my weakness is when I am over independent uh, and what I find is like if people a lot of people like the shoelaces people thought I couldn't tie shoelaces mm. or or you know my last when we, you and I, Sandy, when we were at Shoppers Drug Mart, I remember there was a really, I was one of the, before Sandy coming on the team, we brought Sandy in afterwards, up, up until Sandy, I was one of the strongest facilitators on the team because everybody was technical specific. Like they were really good at pharmacy or they were really good at beauty or they were really good at front store. Whereas I, my job wasn't Shoppers Drug Mart, my job was facilitation. And that's what I was really strong at. And so we have this, you know, box of crayons, incredible coaching program. And so you think your strongest facilitator would be one of your people. And I remember my new manager uh, and I, and asking, so, so, you know, how come I'm not part of the facilitative team with this? I've, I've done the train, the trainer for all of your fellow facilitators. And she said, well, you've got to be able to flip, flip chart paper. Mm -hmm. 
Are you and serious? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, and I was like dumbfounded that she didn't think I could flip flip chart paper. And what's worse is she didn't even ask mm. if I could flip flip chart paper. There was just this assumption of what I could do. So that day we had a team meeting with, it was just amongst the management and career development team. And something was being recorded on the left side of the room and the right side of the room. So I made a point of volunteer, which I always do anyway. I volunteered to be the recorder. And my manager was on one side and I was on the other. And, and I flipped my paper and she was still struggling with bent paper and she ripped the paper. And it was so great because <laughs> she couldn't flip flipping paper over, you know, there's an art to flip chart flipping. And uh, it was so funny. Her nine fingers got in the way. So, yes. There, you know, it, it can be hard to uh, enlist and embrace the support that you need at times because there's also, uh, as a four-way amputee, there's this assumption of what you can't do. And I think that's true for women, too. There's assumption about what you can or mm. can't do rather than uh, checking in with the person. And, uh, and mm. what my rule of thumb is and what I like to talk to in my presentations is just believe everybody's capable. Right. And, and, and that it's up to if I need assistance, I'm going to ask you. And so believe I'm capable. Somebody believed I was capable, even though I was falling out of the boat. And now I am like sailing World Cup regattas against able bodied Viking men right? <laughs> <laughs> that aren't falling that are also falling out of the boat, but in a different uh, level of high performance. And, <laughs> and, and believe that in your staff and believe that in yourself. So. It's not exactly mm, the answer to your question, but it's... Uh, no, it, it is It is a good answer. Thank you. Oh, and it's great because right back to your kindergarten story, I mean, they just assumed you couldn't tie your shoelace. And yeah. that's what I'm taking away from your story is you've encountered a lot of people in your life who are making those assumptions yeah, on your behalf or for you of what you can and can't do. Um, every day. And you're out there uh, proving proving them wrong and and yeah it's a good message for us all because we don't know and I love that I love that message that you're sharing you know if they need help they'll ask yeah. um, if they need help they'll ask and of course we offer I mean I offer uh, it, you know the elderly person in the walker and you offer to open the door and things like that so of course it's great to reach out and offer as well but also have faith that um you know, that people will ask as they need help too. Yes, including that woman with the walker. Mm. But I think what I like about what you're saying, Joanne, is that I will ask. So I think mm -hmm. that's the trick. There's a difference yeah. between let me help you or let yes. me get that for you and would you like me to get the door? Yes. And then really listening to that answer. Yeah. Uh, yes, please. Or if the person, if the elderly person with the walker or myself, says, no, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. It's not that we're being great big heroes. Maybe there's yeah. something else going on. Like maybe like she's weight bearing on the door handle mm -hmm. already. And if you pull that door out, it's like pulling a cane out from underneath her. And, and, you know, same with me. Often people offer, uh, you know, to w before I was driving, getting on a bus and I have a knapsack on my back and nobody knows that I've got artificial legs because I'm standing there. But then they see me start the stairs on a bus and they want to grab that bag off my back for me to help me. But I'm like mid-step. I'm like on stilts, wobbling up some stairs like a clown on stilts, right? I'm, But I'm a gracious professional lady on stilts, not a clown. <laughs> and and uh, 
And and then they go to pull that NASDAQ off my back. Well, guess who face plants? Yeah. Right? And I was fine until they helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's really important that people, yeah, ask, listen, answer. This is a good segue into one of the questions I had for you, Tracy. I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now with organizations in helping them to treat their customers uh, equally and fairly and with respect. Uh, Well, yes, Uh, that's my passion on so many fronts. And that's all customers equally and with respect. And, you know, it's an interesting message about person first. I am Tracy with a disability, but it's in two perspectives. It's, It's the messaging of literally saying person with a disability or Tracy with artificial legs or this customer requires assistance. So it's the messaging of person first. And there's also that perception of person first. So I am... I'm a sailor, I'm a skier, I'm an aunt, I'm a leadership developer, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm sexy, I'm single, right? I'm all these human (laughs) being front lobe pieces and I'm a person with a disability. So I'm a person first in perception and I'm a person first in language. But I think that that's also an interesting transferable lesson in all things that you do. You know, when uh, Sandy and I were working at Air Canada, uh, Canadian Airlines and Air Canada were, were coming together. And it was it was right after a time when people were campaigning better dead than red. Right. And now <laughs> it was a job for me and Sandy to facilitate these teams, these cohesive teams in group dynamics and, and new visions and and growth with uh, Six Sigma philosophies. And uh, what worked, I remember being with 12 unions and and five of them were Air Canada unions and the other unions were Canadian Airlines unions. And together we were coming to uh, develop a new employee engagement team, but they were still battling it out with the unions on what was going to be the way we were going to be a new Air Canada. And, 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 And basically there were these grown men pounding their fists on the table, swearing quite unprofessionally in this room with all with pilots and flight attendants and ramp agents and cargo agents and call center agents. And there were all these people. And and it was my role to facilitate a new employee engagement. And and these people went from absolutely hating each other and competing against each other because they've got to integrate their their union agreements and pounding fists to, you know, really bonded and forever friendships and saying, you know, if I was ever on my deathbed, I would be you that I'd want to be fighting for me. And and we were just a professional committee, but mm-hmm. now we were super bonded. And what started that relationship in the facilitation of those teams was person first. Mm-hmm. We were all people in that room. And so it's person first and then what airline you came from second or what union you're representing second, but that we were all people first. And so that's true when working with people with disabilities. It's true when working with different customers, that they're all people first. And that's true with your employees and your managers, as well as your VPs and your CEOs is is live and work a person first way of customer service. 
Yeah. And what you can do, we don't know until we ask you. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I get your message with these corporations is is that of respecting that. So so how is that going? Like um, this this is your new business now or. This yeah, is my new you, business. Uh, yeah. What's very exciting uh, is that I was, you know, I was campaigning for you. You kindly called me an Olympian, and I actually was a Paralympic trialist. So I made it to the Paralympic trials uh, close with skiing, and uh, I went to both Paralympic trials with sailing, but I didn't, in fact, make it to the Paralympics. And so kind of like this incredible job that I loved at Air Canada and got laid off and kind of like the incredible job at Shoppers Drug Mart that I loved and got laid off and then kind of like the Paralympics that I loved and then I didn't make the spot. Mm. And Uh. so, you know, each time is a really phenomenal places that were clear visions and they were exactly where I needed to be. It was exactly what I needed to be because they were Mm. part of my journey. They got me to where I needed to go. You know, when I got laid off at Air Canada, six months later at Shoppers Drug Mart, I was making $20,000 more and I was living 10 minutes away from my workplace. You got to tell me that was a way better lifestyle, right? And I had no idea, right? I didn't know what I didn't know at Shoppers Drug Mart. And then when I got laid off at Shoppers Drug Mart, oh my gosh, I like living four years in Miami, Florida. That wasn't too hard to shake a stick at. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I was surrounding by like all these Viking, big, blonde, muscular men. That, that wasn't hard to shake a stick at either. And I was learning some phenomenal sailing, uh, and and drive, and you know a lot of that high performance culture of coaching. Uh, like you got to be the first awake, and you got to be the most efficient with, and you don't accept anything that isn't, you know, don't duct tape it duct tape it in the moment to survive and get through now, but, but get the quality that you need. If you want a quality product, if you want a quality mm-hmm. result, then you need a quality bowl. And if you want quality business, you need quality coaching. And, and this is what I'm learning now. And so when I came back and I didn't get the spot, I was in that, you know, very tearful place again of not being at Rio. And what also happened is that sailing was pulled from Tokyo 2020. So, oh. you know, there's no, there's no next Paralympics for me mm-hmm. in 2020. So, so many people all my life have said, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And so uh, I went to Facebook, put a free uh, write a book in 40 hours or less Saturday. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I went to see what it was about. And it was enough to kickstart a journey. And even before I wrote the book, I, I started to uh, look at the cover of the book and I shared this dream of check out this book cover and and 800 people liked it and 136 people shared this book cover so now i got to write a book <laughs> oh <laughs> i love people, that isn't that crazy <laughs> and and they uh i wouldn't have had that following and that love if i hadn't have had my paralympic trials journey that mm. all over the world, right? Melbourne, like not just in the United States and all over Canada and cities all around the world, right? I'm an international sailor. So, and, and all over North America, tremendously lots and lots of regattas. 
So I wouldn't have had that following had I not done that journey to have this love mm. for this book. And because I shared this book cover, mm. now I got uh, uh, people are approaching me because of the book. People that knew my story, they knew I climbed in the Himalayas, but now they want me. I I pick, I, I just got a wonderful opportunity with March of Dimes to present in nine cities across Canada. And they're, they're paying me to present and they're paying for my flights to go to these places to celebrate and maximize funds for March of Dimes. But I'm, I've still got my time covered and I'm going to Sochi and I always wanted to go to Sochi. I thought it was for skiing, but don't be stuck on what your vision is. Just put out there what's best for me universe. And I'm going to Sochi and I'm going to go as a speaker at an international conference for Sochi. And instead of paying to get there to ski and maybe break my neck, I'm going to <laughs> be paid to fly there and speak at an international co conference and make a difference for a group of mostly Russians that will have very different accessibility viewpoint. And so mm. how incredible that will be. Mm. That's wow. exciting. Yeah. Um, so what strategies did you use, Tracy, when you um, – got the disappointing news like how did you get out of that disappointment and was it a process of grieving when you realized you weren't going to go to the Paralympics like what because it sounds so easy you know yes I cried for 15 minutes and then I was on to the next thing but I know it's not that easy and no. listeners know it's not that easy you know no. but you speak with such um you know enthusiasm and encouragement yeah. What what would what did that process look like and how did you come and get out of it? Or through the possibility, I suppose. Through the possibility. And it's true, I, I speak with that enthusiasm and and trying to instill a capability in everybody, like just believe it and you will mm. achieve it. Right. <laughs> but you know, I cried every night in my motel down to Miami, mm. Florida, right? I was like, What am I doing? But I'm doing this now, right? What am I doing when I'm doing it? And many times in that parking lot, like for three weeks, I tried to, I went all, I gave up everything and my whole family were like so mad at me and my friends were so mad at me. So I'm alone and I'm eating Cheerios and I'm sleeping in my car in a parking lot in a very hot Miami, Florida. It wasn't wonderful. And Magnus still won't coach me in a boat, right? Like I'm washing <laughs> boats. What am I doing? I'm washing boats. And it's so physical and I'm eating Cheerios and it's, and so I did a, a you know, there is a lot of tears, uh, but there's also just sticking with it. Like it's just, mm. you want this or not. And so just having a focus and coming mm. back to that focus and coming back to, so, so what I think, I think what was helpful on the Paralympic journey at that point was I was lucky that Hurricane Sandy happened because it gave me a crystal clear focus uh and it 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 was it was sort of the the strength to just keep coming back to it and and it's uh there you know lots of tears in high school at high school dances and but really you know an awful lot of people wonder did I shed a lot of tears over being bullied or or not mm -hmm. having certain friends but my friends are a lot like Sandy uh, in saying like, I don't even know, I forgot that you were disabled. It's funny now that this is your path because I don't even think of that in high school. It never came to mind. And I was really lucky in high school. I wasn't bullied. And I think it's because you just, 
Like I wasn't even present to it either. I was really lucky that I was on this street. So all these kids just accepted me because I was like a cousin because they met me really young. So I go into kindergarten with this small posse of people that just accept me for who I am. So everybody mm. else accepted me for who I am. And they grew up with me in elementary and in high school. And so that they accept me for who I am. So I accept me for who I am. So this confidence in, in myself too kind of is, I think it's really important that even if we're sad uh, and even when I am sad, you kind of fake it till you make it. Mm. You you so even if you're not feeling a hundred percent, you still know that you're capable, mm. uh, and you still have down days, but you know that they're not forever days, and you just mm. really got to have that confidence and that belief, even even on the rough days. Well, I think that goes back to that quote you said about. Um, how you like to focus on the positive. I think you called it something else, but focus, like don't yeah, focus what on you, what you don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, for all of us that are in the entrepreneurial world, that what you focus on grows. I've mm-hmm. leveraged that quote from Appreciative Inquiry, right. which is a really neat uh, leadership philosophy that I love. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet you do. Yeah, yeah I bet you both deliver it. Yeah, yes. That's great. There's so many things I know we could talk about, Tracy, but I want to, um, there's a few things we need to do before we wrap up. And one is go back to that RoboCop thing I mentioned oh, at yes. the beginning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that so, you put it out there. Yeah. So tell me what that means, what that's all about. Uh, I remember coming back uh, from the, well, you know what that RoboCop is, Ashley? So that same day, that same drive, I'm driving back. I got laid off from Shoppers Drug Mart that day, right around lunchtime. And then I got this phone call from a girlfriend. And she's like, Tracy, I don't know if you can get this day off or not. But there's this gig tomorrow. A Robocop is looking for some authentic actors who are amputees for one of the scenes. And I'm like, well, I tell you, I can get tomorrow <laughs> off. <laughs> that kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I remember, and I, I'm saying tomorrow, and I can't, like, I think I said it was like a Friday, and I went off to San Diego. But however, it worked out. I think it was next week. But I was able, clearly, to get the time off because I'd just been laid off. And that phone call for Robocop happened that same, same drive home from, <sighs> I, no word of a lie, I swear to you. And so it's, 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 I mean, I'm a very strong believer and this might not be what you're looking for, but what you put out into the universe comes at you and and it it might be scary sometimes. Like you think being laid off is awful, but it's exactly where I needed to be. And I think the universe was just lining me up for my journey to Miami and my journey to San Diego and my journey to be on Robocop. And so I got to be on Robocop and Michael Keaton was on the set and my job was to practice walking you know supposedly with some new legs across his path so we 20 times I pretended like it was my first time walking across the path of Michael Keaton like how awful was that day because I was laid <laughs> off right and so I got to cross the path and I'm kind of blurred out you don't even unless you know my green t-shirt because I wore that green t-shirt a lot at that time <laughs> you don't even necessarily recognize that it's me but uh, it, it's kind of neat. And again, I wouldn't have met Michael Keaton if I wasn't wow. a four-way amputee. So, uh, oh, gosh. It's what, Yeah. Sorry to jump in. Um, who else have you met along your journeys? Oh, 
Well, like, besides well, other amazing, besides other amazing people, other, um, yes. other any other celebrities that you've you've met? What well, like I just last uh, two three weeks ago, I met Tamara Beatty from The Voice, and I met uh, Michelle Romanoff from Dragons Den. Both oh. of them. They, yeah, so they were yeah. sharing the stage with me uh, at uh, Women in Leadership and Business in Niagara. And uh, in November, I am going to be sharing the stage and having an interview with Al Pacino, oh. which is kind of exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited about November. Very, very excited about November. So um, there's there's lots of fun. And there's a, I just got word that um, Mark Wahlberg is going to be at that same Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> so I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet Al Pacino. We're, we're already on the agenda for me to interview him, but uh, maybe I'll even get to, to do a, a handshake with Mark Wahlberg. Who knows? Oh, wow. That's exciting. I'm putting that into the universe with you right here. There right you now. go. Yes. <laughs> we'll, look, <laughs> we'll look for that on your Instagram feeds. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. So you have a book, you have a website, I'm just going to, um, is your book published now? Is it out? Available for people to purchase? Uh, no, well, they can purchase it, but it would be a pre-order. A pre-order? Okay. To pre-order it, I will give them two books, no taxes, no shipping, no handling, if they're confident enough to pre-order my book. And uh, right now, the publisher is predicting printing in November. Okay. So I will send it out to people, no cost, shipping and handling in November. Great. And right. people can find you at unstoppabletracy.com. And we'll put this all in our show notes as well. You're on Easy. all social media. So facebook.com, they can look for Unstoppable Tracy. And that's Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, no E. They can find you on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and on YouTube. So we'll put all of that in our show notes. And um, But I think first stop for people is your website, unstoppabletracy.com, and they can find out more there as well. So I wanted to give you an opportunity at the end to just give some advice or share some wisdom with our listeners. So I, I'm thinking there's probably people who are listening to this and thinking that, um, you know, that they have challenges in their life that they have maybe felt like were holding them back or they couldn't get beyond and they're trying to reframe their lives as we like to say. So what would you, where would you tell them to start? You know, what my book focuses on is you know, transforming an unstoppable you and overcoming your uncertainties. And I think we've talked a lot about like, jump in, go with your gut, don't let anything stop you, even if you're sad, even if you're scared. And so mm. I guess the last piece would be, uh, often we, uh, we're afraid of the word change, and we don't want to embrace change. And it's I like, screw embrace change, affect change. And forget change altogether, just facilitate growth. And I think what comes with that is uh, just because you don't know the how, jump anyway. Jump into it. You figure out the how. If you've jumped out of the airplane and you've got that parachute, you've got your network of support, you're going to figure out how to land because you're on your way. Right? I've got a book cover out there. i got to write the book now. Right? And I have written the book. But I had to. Mm. It inspired me to take action. So you just go for it. And. It reminds me when I was in Corner Brook, 
Newfoundland, and there's a ski run there called OMJ. And forgive the politically correctness, it's called Oh Me Jesus. And when I <laughs> landed on it that first day, uh, I was there by accident. I took a wrong turn, and I ended up at the top of it. And that's what you. The reason it's called OMJ is when you're at the top, you look down <laughs> and, and you say Oh Me Jesus because it's so crazy steep. And I went into the trees 12 times getting down the run on the Monday. And I remember going back on the Friday and, and I didn't actually consciously go back there. I just skied all morning. And I, I said to my coach, I thought we were going to do OMJ one more time. And he said, you did. And I said, I did. And he said, yeah. And I didn't even recognize it on the Friday. So mm. all of you that are having those OMJ moments, everybody that's saying, oh my goodness, or oh me Jesus. Oh my gosh, what am I in the middle of? What have I got myself into? How do I take this on? It doesn't matter. Just go and you'll figure it out. And there might be wipeouts or you might fall out of the boat, but you've got a life jacket and you got a helmet on, right? You figure it out. Take your safe risks and you jump and you just dust off the snow and you, you, you go at it again. And by just doing it and practicing in many ways and many different ways, you figure out the how. Don't let not knowing the how stop you. Don't let mm. perfection stop you from starting. Just start and then fix it. I love that, Tracy. Just start it and figure out the how as you go. That It's giving me so much to think about as uh, I'm embracing on my next uh, little journey here. And I hope it's given our listeners a lot to think about as well. We would love to have you on again towards the end of the year after your book is launched because I'd love to hear how that whole process has gone for you and what feedback you're getting from people. So either end of the year or early next year, I think we need to uh, have you back on again um, and see how your OMJ moments have turned out, <laughs> if that's okay. <laughs> I would love that. That would be a pleasure. And actually listening to you from listening to our podcast, I know that that's that jumping and, and not worrying about perfection and, and worrying about exactly how is, is something that you've been really brave and courageous about with your podcast journey. So way to go to you, Joanne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to both of us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So Life Reframers, you know, if you have a question, I mean, reach out to Tracy or reach out to us on our Facebook as well and um, embrace those OMJ moments. Thanks for listening. Hi Life Reframers, did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.